Hey, good morning, everybody. To my friends on live stream at home, hanging out, people I've never met, uh, hope to meet sometime, and to everybody in this room, good morning. Thanks for being here with us at PFN. I'm excited to read from Ephesians 5, 1 through verse 17. I'm going to be in the NASB. I get in trouble at Man Church if I don't tell people the what translation I'm reading from, so I'm letting you know that right now. So if you'll join along with me. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ loved you, and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse joking which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, in goodness, in righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is great disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Because the days, they are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Thank you, Mark. We should have him read every week. We? <laughs> that was awesome. Um, thank you, Irene, for the prayer. And um, I say amen to what Cheryl was talking about as far as us being a church for everyone and uh, our kids being welcome here. And uh, they always are. We just wanted to kind of say that out loud. Uh, so I appreciate that uh, so much. Uh, we are in the book of Ephesians. We're uh, beginning in chapter five today. Um, I know he read that scripture for you. I hope you maybe have it open and we'll go back and forth to it if you have it on your phone or in your Bible uh, with you today or you're looking at it at home. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 to 6, Paul is applying the truths that we learned in chapters 1 through 3 uh, to uh, put it in perspective related to the life of the church and the personal lives that we share as Jesus followers. So over the past two weeks, we have seen what a healthy body of Christ looks like in 4, 1 to 16. And then last week, we talked about a new set of clothes that God through Christ has given us. Paul is urging us as followers of Jesus to consider the appropriate way for Christians to live differently. 
and distinctively in response to the relationship to Christ and to each other. So the, the previous passage that we looked at drew a contrast between how we lived before and how we live after we're saved. Paul uh, draws this dramatic contrast between uh, our behavior now that we know Christ. He comes out, cries out, imitate God as we are challenged to be Christ-like uh, disciples. You know, sometimes we talk about uh, our BC, which is before Christ, and our after Christ. Do you, do you think any time about your own testimony, your own life, what it was like before Christ? Couldn't you think sometimes what would it, your life be like without Jesus? without his work in your life. Uh, you know, everything probably hasn't turned out perfectly for you anyway, but just think where you'd be without him. Uh, guiding your life, giving clarity and direction. Uh, I heard about this, um, this young girl. She was in Sunday school class, and the lesson that day was on uh, Jesus turning water into wine. And so the teacher asked uh, the class, do you believe that that could happen? And this one little girl raised her hand and said, I absolutely, I, I, be I believe that. And the teacher said, well, you, you seem so certain about it. Why do you believe that so strongly? She said, because I've seen Jesus, when my dad was converted, turn beer into furniture and, and groceries. <laughs> and then she said, and I got my daddy back. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's the impact of the change that Jesus Christ brings uh, in us. So I'm uh, excited this morning to talk about uh, this passage for us to be able to break it down together. Uh, don't you love that in church? We're not just talking about whatever is going on. We're allowing the scripture uh, to penetrate into us and think. Us. And I hope that you'd be thinking about uh, what what would God want from me? What, what kind of changes need to happen in my life as a result of this passage of Scripture that we're looking at together? Uh, so he starts out right away uh, talking about walking, uh, in, walking in love as we uh, take on this imitation of God uh, in our walk with God. You know, you've, maybe you've heard the expression, we have the little conversation around our house sometimes about... Um, how I might be like my father or like my mother or Kim will say, I'm kind of like my, my mom in that or whatever. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a positive conversation at your house or not. I don't know how that goes uh, for sure. But I was thinking about, you know, we sometimes say father like son, that, uh, um, like father like son. Uh, I was thinking about that. That's a pretty common uh, description. But I was thinking about my father, you know, as I was growing up, my father, uh, this will be amazing to you, but my father dressed up every day. <laughs> you, you, you wonder where I got it from, but uh, he, was, um, he was a salesperson in a few different kind of uh, environments, but uh, as part of sales, he dressed up every day. They didn't, they didn't have a shirt with the name of the company on it. That wasn't the thing back then. Uh, he wore a coat and tie. I mean, he looked good uh, every, every day. Uh, not every, you know, every work day when he was working. And so um, I kind of got it honestly. Uh, so um, 
Well, sometimes like fatherless. So, sometimes, though, in our society today, children can be fatherless or have a father who is absent or abusive. Um, sometimes we even call this the fatherless generation around us. But thankfully, every believer gets to call God Father, our Heavenly Father. So, chapter 5, verse 1, Paul urges us to imitate our Heavenly Father. Uh, he paints this beautiful picture. And he, what he's trying to say is that we take on the character of our Father, that we imitate, uh, imitate God there. Sometimes the Bible says imitate Christ. Paul even says in, in different places, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But this is the only place, this place in Ephesians that we are told to imitate God. You know, we, there's a lot of things we can't do that God does. We can't take, we can't create the whole world in seven days or, you know, many of the great miracles that are done, but we can apply the characteristics of God to our lives, to live a life that is holy and compassionate and filled with mercy. So walking in love first reminds us that we love like the father. We love, we are loved as dearly beloved children, it says. Uh, how did we become children of God? Well, Paul told us earlier that God adopted us. He made us into sons and daughters. We call him our Abba Father. We are in a family, the family that is the body of Christ, the church. And we experience privileges and benefits and blessings as well as responsibilities as a part of being uh, connected to him. Chapter 1, verse 5 said that we were adopted into Christ and now we are imitating our heavenly daddy as we follow him. He also says to, to love not only like the father, but like the son. Here he's talking about Christ who is the ultimate imitation of the father. He is following after him. And I noticed in this scripture that he gives us some guidance uh, about that. How do, we, how do we imitate God? How do we follow after Christ? How do we become Christ-like men and women? Well, he gives us some examples here. Uh, first of all, he says that there is a, a pattern of love. A pattern of love. Uh, he says, um, love that, as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. That's the pattern. Christ has loved us and given himself for us. And that's the ultimate pattern of love. You know that love is not just sentimentalism. Uh, sometimes we think about love like that. Do I, do I really feel it? Do I, do I feel love? Um, what he's talking about here is that Jesus demonstrated love by action, by sacrifice, by offering himself to us. So love for us is really fulfilled, not just in how we feel, but how we act. Amen. Love is forgiving others. Love is caring for others and offering them comfort and care. Love is expressed in our speech with truth and action. Uh, Jesus is uh, calling us to be patient with others and to, to care for others and to help those that are in need. So how do, we, how do we grow in our love for others? We respond to the pattern that Christ has given to us. Paul said it this way in Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Very same uh, idea that he's talking about there. So he's reminding us that we, we walk in love. We, we experience this pattern of love. There's, a, there's another one, uh, which is the power of love. The power of love. The power of love here is demonstrated in the grace that God gives us as he sacrifices, as he offers an offering to us. Uh, aren't you glad that you don't have to end up being perfect to be a, be a Christ-like follower? You know, we sometimes fail. We sometimes struggle. But Jesus loves us and gave us uh, the empowerment, the strength by his grace to be able to follow after him. You know, uh, um, recognizing his work uh, in us. I, I heard this story about a university where um, there was these two guys were rooming together. They'd never met each other. And one was a Christian and one uh, was was you know, of the Jewish faith. And so they came together and this, um, they began to talk about their faith together. They would spend time at night and, uh, especially this, this Jewish young man, he was so interested in, uh, things about Christ. And, uh, he began to, to learn about that. And, uh, one night they were, there was a whole group of boys that were gathered together. And one of the other friends began to say, well, you know, Jesus is coming back. And he was like, what, what, what is happening? He said, hold on just a minute. I need to get the first coming of Jesus right, and then I'll get the, the second coming. And I think that's a, that's a good way to look at it, is to think about what is my relationship, what is the power of what Christ has done in us and through us? Have, have you even begun to live out this pattern of what Christ has done? Yes, he's coming back, but we got work to do while we're still here, amen, uh, in, in what he wants us to accomplish. So he, he talks about this love for God, this love for the Son through uh, the pattern of love, the power of love. He also, I noticed, talks about the perfume of love. I like that one. Did you hear Mark say the, that fragrant aroma? You know, Christ's death, his sacrifice was a fragrant aroma. You know, see this idea Paul gets out of the Old Testament where they would talk about the pleasing aroma that would, when they would place a sacrifice in the Old Testament on the altar and the sacrifice would create an aroma and they would say that, that they wanted that aroma to be pleasing to God. And so he says our, our relationship with God, the way we live out our lives is like a perfume of grace and glory, a fragrant aroma. I just wondered, what, what, what's the fragrance when you show up? Think about it. You walk in the room. You know what, what kind of you know, I'm not talking about your, your perfume or your cologne, but you ever notice how the atmosphere can change when somebody can walk in a room? Because maybe you wonder, what's their mood going to be like today? What's their attitude going to be like toward me today? You know, sometimes I wonder if, if, if our children, what they anticipate when we come walking into their lives is your life because of Christ a fragrant aroma of when you walk in? See, he's talking about uh, how do we live out this relationship with Christ. So he talks first about, about walking in love. Number two, he talks about walking in light. 
chapter 5, 3 through 14. In this section, he's talking, the, the themes of light and darkness show up. You've heard it a couple times uh, in this service and the song that they sang, uh, especially that awake sleeper. So he's, he, what he's saying here is that formerly you were once darkness. He does not say that you were once part of darkness, that you were once living in darkness. He says you were darkness, that you were darkness, and that now you have become light, that now you are light in the Lord. What does that mean? That means our identity changed. That means something was transformed about us. Because you are no longer dark, you are light. He says, walk then as children of light. So once again, he's calling believers on the basis of who you are and what Christ has done to impact how you live your life. You are light. Now the question for us as believers is, how then do I walk in the light? You know, we can answer that in a bunch of different ways. Let's, let's notice what he says. First thing he says is that we walk in the light by exalting God. Exalt God, not idols. Paul, Paul mentions several different sins here that are part of a, a dark life. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, filthy speech. Uh, he's talking about these things that grow out of a sinful, dark life. He says in verse 3, let these things not even be heard among you. Notice, he's not even saying, uh, don't just do those things. Don't even let there be a hint of these things in your life, sexual immorality or impurity. You, you know, you might think that we jumped all the way to the, the, the 2020s. But did you notice they were having the same problems in the first century that we're having in this century? Sexual immorality, impurity. Your impurity there is a very broad word. And, and he uses the word any there. I noticed that when he's talking about, he says, any impurity or greed. So he's talking about being holy, that there is a difference between, well, our difference in our lives on the basis of what Christ has done for us. Uh, I'm going to talk about that as we go along through this service. But don't you think that's one of the reasons that the church has struggled in the, in the time period that we're in, maybe through, our, through my lifetime watching the church, because sometimes people aren't living out the faith that we proclaim. Amen. It's reminding us that we can't be calling ourselves believers in Christ and then living with sexual immorality like it doesn't matter. It matters. It makes a huge difference. He's talking about impurity. You know, the scripture, scripture condemns multiple kinds of sexual sin like homosexuality, fornication, adultery, uh, even lustful thoughts. Um, a lot of times people try to work around uh, this scripture and try to, um, but he, he says not even a hint of it. Don't allow it to be there. And we can't, we can't rename sin just because we are living a, a different time. You know, people often say, well, if it feels good, then it must be all right. Well, that's a lie. You know, I was, I was on a flight a while back, and there was an ad for like a, like a gentleman's club. And I thought, what a name for that. I knew what that was. A gentleman's club. And here's the, ta the tagline. It's just the, right, just the right amount of wrong. Wow. 
could not believe that. I shut that thing, closed it up, and stuck it back in the thing. Uh, but I've been thinking about it. You know, God does not call us just kind of to, to glance over sin. We're called to kill sin. We're called to flee from sin. So he's encouraging us, reminding us uh, to keep ourselves uh, pure. He talks about greed. Greed is the desire for more. And Paul identifies it as, a, as an idolatry. So the, you know, the, the tenth commandment is coveting. And breaking that commandment means you're not keeping the first commandment, which is do not have any other gods before me. So greed, you know what greed is about, right? Greed's not about stuff. Greed's about your heart. Greed's about your desires. Jesus told his followers, watch out and be on your guard against all uh, greed. Recognizing uh, that God wants us to stand against, to be distinctive in that. Jesus' command is to delight in God and to store up treasure in heaven. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain, 1 Timothy uh, 6, 6. So ultimately, the God of money will not satisfy your soul. Amen. Amen. It's empty. The call is for believers to find our satisfaction in God alone. Christians are to, to make money, we're to have income, but we are to do it for the right purposes while worshiping God alone. Amen. So he, he mentions another thing. He's, he mentions filthy speech. Christians have to avoid coarse Foolish talking, crude joking and jesting. Those walking in the light will not use the same language that those that are not in the light. Come on. Right. You, we can't just, throw, I mean, I met so many people in my life that, that um, questioned whether it even mattered what came out of your mouth. It matters. It ma just look at the word of God. I mean, I'm not making it up. You know, you say, well, I don't like that pastor. He's just too focused on all. No, I'm telling you, God himself reminding us about our speech. Paul says that in place of corrupt speech, Christians should be known for, did you notice it? Known for giving thanks. Not filthy speech, but giving thanks. So we are called to cultivate a heart of gratitude. How about a vocabulary of thanksgiving? You know, it is very difficult. Thanksgiving is the antidote to sin because it is difficult. I might even say impossible to give thanks and to sin at the same time. Think about that one. Sexual sin, greed, corrupt talk are all about a self-centered way of thinking. When we sin in these different ways, we gratify our own sinful desires. But thanksgiving is an attitude that says, God, you are generous. You are good, Father. You have given me everything that I need. I don't know. I don't need to go back and look at substitute gods to find pleasure and joy. He repeats it over, thanksgiving that he's giving to us. Now, verse 5 and 6, there's a little warning there. He says, those who persist in a darkness lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. What a warning. It emphasizes that we can't be foolish or worldly in our pursuits. Jesus said, for what does it benefit a man or a woman? to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul. I mean, it's a warning. 
It's an instruction to believers that calls us to pursue the kingdom and its righteousness over the fleeting pleasures of the world around us. So believers have a God who is satisfying, who is greater in satisfaction than sexual sin or greed, and a God worthy of endless thanksgiving, a God who has given us uh, his kingdom. You know, we worship God alone, not cheap substitutes. Can I say that one more time? We worship God alone, not cheap substitutes. You ought to write that one down. That's, that's, uh, that's going to help you. So he says, first of all, exalt, exalt God, not idols. Second, exhibit the fruit of light. That's his language. You know, one of the important things about scripture like here, like this in studying is to get the language, to get the vocabulary, not just saying, um, you know, I... I write out all this stuff that, that I try to say. And one of the reasons I write it out is I want to make sure that I get the language right. You know, you need to do that. You need to think about the right language of how you're living your life. He's talking about exhibiting the fruit of light, displaying light by not joining in with those in darkness. He says, don't become partners. Don't become partakers of the darkness. Uh, in Corinthians, he says, do not be mismatched with believers or of the fellowship that uh, brings darkness rather than light. Paul is calling Christians to be salt in our society, to love, to befriend those outside the faith, to make part of our mission, allowing ourselves to display the glory of God around us, displaying it by living out your identity. He says... Once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Um, there's probably no text greater to describe what conversion means than that right there. I was in the dark. Now I'm in the light. So I'm going to walk as a child of the light. Paul is calling. Yeah, I like that. Woo. I need, I need some more of that. Come on. Um, Paul is talking about this distinction here. Christians are not light in ourselves. We don't just work it up and say, okay, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a Christian. No, you cannot do that in your own strength. You do that because of what he has done in you. You are light in the Lord. He is the light and we are in him that makes us uh, those of the light. He says, display light by doing all that is good and right and true. That's where he uses the phrase fruit of the light results in goodness, righteousness, and truth. It's describing that we are indwelt by the light of the world. You know, the, the light is not just, uh, just around you. It's coming out from within you. The light of God shining through him. As imitators of God, Christians are to do what is good and right and true. It's the virtues that he calls us to live out. Those who walk in light do good works. We live righteously and we speak truthfully. The last one was display light by pleasing the Lord, recognizing what is pleasing to the Lord. Wouldn't that be a good thing to say every morning? Lord, what's going to be pleasing to you today? How can I be pleasing to God? What will please the Lord? Walking in uh, the light pleases him. So we exalt in God, not idols. We exhibit or display the fruits of light. And then uh, to walk in light, we expose the darkness. Do you see that word? 
expose uh, the darkness. He says that we are not only to simply, we're not simply to avoid participation in darkness, but we actively expose the darkness as well. Uh, he's not just talking about staying away from things, but how we choose uh, to respond to them. You know, light exposes the darkness. You know, if you, if you walk and the, do, the room is completely dark, you know, all you got to do is hit that little switch right there. And if it's got the power connected to it, the dark is gone. Like immediately, instantly gone. Uh, we need wisdom, discernment, gentleness, courage, how to confront the darkness that is around us. Uh, how do we carry that out? Verse 12 says that the works done in secret are too shameful to even mention. So we are called to live a life that is honorable uh, to him, giving praise to him. The J.B. Phillips translation of that verse says, it is even possible after all the things that have happened to you for the light to turn the thing it shines upon into light also. So how, is, how are people going to receive the light? By us living in this relationship with him. So kind of a summary of verses 7 to 14. He says, when we wake up, that's what his challenge was. Wake up, sleeper. Wake up, dreamer. And the light will shine upon you. When we wake up as Christians who were once in darkness, but now in the light, the light of the truth and righteousness of God shines in our dark world with our words and our deeds. And they make visible the shameful and secret dark deeds of darkness. And they help others to know the light as well. You know, that is still our calling. Our calling is to be the light in the world that's around us there to remind us. We just have to figure out how do we do that and keep social distancing and all that. But one of these days, all that stuff's going to be over with. But even while we're still here, are you the light? Are you shining in the light? The words that come out of your mouth, he's reminding us to walk in love, walk in uh, light, and finally, walk in wisdom. Th these verses... Uh, explain how you walk with God, how you imitate him, how you walk with wisdom. Uh, notice, notice the three phrases here. Uh, phrase number one is not as unwise people, but as wise. Number two, making most of the time and understand what the Lord's will is. So walking in wisdom is saying, I'm not going to live as unwise or foolish. I'm going to live as a person that is wise. I'm going to make the most of the time. Paul reminds the Ephesians that they, like us, are living in the last days. I don't know when he's coming back, but now it matters how we live. Christians should make the most of the time because the days are evil. Anybody doubt that? We got we to gotta live out our days, making the most of our time, and then understand what the Lord's will is. That's the last phrase here. Uh, usually, when we talk about understanding the Lord's will, we think about major decisions we're going to make, who we might marry, um, you know, different decisions we might make. In our, what is the Lord's will for my life in there? I don't, I don't think that's exactly what he's talking about right here. You know, for, as believers, we understand that every believer is called to pursue what God has in mind for us, to follow the pattern that he's given to us. So here, here's what I would say. Uh, there are at least two things that God wants from every person. 
The first one is that you would be converted. That you would be converted from darkness to light. We mentioned that multiple times in this sermon already. Uh, being converted means that you're able to say, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. That, what a great thing to say, right? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I'm following. Yeah, I have decided to move from darkness that I used to live in to the light. So um, that would be a great thing to say, wouldn't it? Okay, stand up. Now, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but uh, I'm just going to have you stand up for like five seconds. So just stand up just for a second. So we're going to say the phrase, I am a Christian. Now, don't look around. Just look straight ahead because I want you to say it for yourself. Do you really mean it? Have you given your life to Christ? Are you a Christian? Uh, if, you don't, if you don't believe that, you haven't been converted to Christ, don't say it. Don't say it if you don't mean it. But if you are a Christian, would you boldly say with me, ready? I am a Christian. One more time. I am a Christian. Okay, sit down. That was great. Fantastic. All right. The second thing that God wants to happen it's not only that you would be converted and that you would become a Christian, but he wants you to be a disciple of Christ. Yes, yes. To be a disciple of Christ. All right. Well, what that means is not simply that I at some point gave my life to Christ. It means that I'm in the process of being made into this person that he wants me to be. Right? You know, if... If you're a disciple, you're a learner. That's what, that's, that's what the idea is, the idea of, of learning. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that at some point you had uh, something you wanted to attain. You know, maybe uh, let's say some hobby, something that you really liked. You know, you, you might have ordered magazines about that hobby. You might have looked up stuff on the Internet. You might have gotten together with somebody that was good at it and became, uh, got involved in that. You know what you were? You were a disciple of that hobby. You were trying to learn your way. Oh, I'm pretty sure that somebody offered you money sometime for a job or a promotion. And then they give you this list of what's going to be involved. And you think, eh, I'll think about it. No, you don't. You start figuring out, how can I take this class? What, what can I do? How, how can I get this promotion? I'm going to, what am I doing? I'm a disciple. I'm, I'm learning. You know, you don't just say, well, I'm an employee. So I got hired here. And he says, your boss says, well, good for you. Uh, if you're not going to do what I need you to do and be a learner in this, you can go find some other job, right? Because I'm a disciple. I'm learning. I'm making a choice. You, you, you get where I'm coming from here? It's one thing to say, I'm a Christian. It's another thing to say, I'm a disciple of Christ. So, what do you do as a disciple? Oh, you come to church. Good job. Check that one off. You're, you're there today. Does going to church make you a disciple? Not a chance. But I can become a disciple when I start taking some action. So in Paul's language, we start thinking about my behavior. How, how am I living out this relationship with Christ? I've probably got to change some of my darkness ways to ways that fit in with the light. There are certain things that are just not fitting, Paul says, 
for a disciple to be doing or saying. Oh, you know what? I, I probably ought to read my Bible. That probably would help outside of church time, right? You're certainly not just depending on me to feed you, right? I mean, this is like one meal of the week. You're going to starve the rest of the week. But you're a disciple. So you're in the word of God. You're re- you know, I, I hear people say that sometimes. It's almost like it's like, yeah, I got I to read my Bible. No, no. It's like you're, food. you're a disciple. You're saying, I, I'm, I'm following Christ. I'm learning. Oh, prayer. Prayer. Such an opportunity. And I make sure how that fits. You know, I'm, I'm going to go to class. You know, I get up. I get up early every Tuesday morning. I get up early about every day. But um, I get up early every Tuesday morning. And about 630, I'm sitting in this room with a bunch of guys. You know why we do that? We're disciples. We're learning. We even have to social distance. They don't even like doing all that. But we, we're learning about Christ because we made a choice that this is who I am. So you stood up and you said, I am a Christian. Would you be able to say, I'm a disciple? Is my behavior changing and becoming more like Christ? Am I walking in love? Am I walking in light? Am I walking in wisdom? How do I smell when I'm around other people? You know what I mean by that, right? What is the aroma like of my life? Am I a disciple? You know, it's hard to say you're, I'm not going to have you stand up and say that because some of you are struggling with that. Are, are, do you have anybody feeding into you? Are you a part of a Bible study? You know, we stand up here and tell you about all these things that we're, we're having available and we have classes. Why do we do all that? Because it's difficult for you to be a disciple if you're not learning. Amen. Amen. Come on. That's, that's what we're about. Why does this church exist? This church does not exist simply to get people saved. That might be the first time you ever heard that from the pulpit. I know I'm over and I apologize. Um, we, we are not here just to get people saved. We are here to make disciples. You know, the, the, the mission statement of the Church of the Nazarene worldwide is to make Christ-like disciples. Not how many people we get saved, but how many people get converted that become disciples. You know, that's our goal here. That's what we're doing. If you wonder what we're up to here, our desire is to help you become a disciple of Christ. I think that was his goal, and I know that's our goal as well. Would, would you think about what it means for you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What kind of action that's going to take? What kind of choices you're going to have to make? You know, there are going to be some things in your life that you probably have to get rid of if you're really going to be a disciple. Come on. There are going to be some changes in how you deal with the Word of God and how you bring that into your life. How you're going to receive guidance and, and mentoring and teaching from others to get yourself in a place. He's asking you to be a disciple of Christ. On the card... That's in there, there are those two choices. Maybe today you'd say, uh, I'm a Christian. And what I mean by that is today you're deciding, I'm, co- I'm going I'm to give my life to Christ. Today is my conversion date. Or maybe today is the, the day you decided to be a disciple of Christ. You're going to follow him and you're going to start doing things guided by his spirit to turn you in to a disciple 
of Christ. What a calling. Would you pray with me? Jesus, uh, thank you for this incredible section of scripture. Thank you for what you have, what you have called us to be. I am so thankful that so many in this room could say, I'm a Christian. But I pray, Lord, that all of us would go home and talk about it today. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Lord, even as a pastor, I haven't arrived. I got to keep doing things to help me grow, to be in your word, to pray, to, to, to go to class, to, to study your scripture with others, to grow with other men and women that are following you. Help us, Lord, not just to come to church here and say, I'm a Christian. Help us to walk out of this door and say, I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm following his ways and I'm learning what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. May that be who we are, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.